0: Well, after 25 years of teaching Mother's Day messages, you start running out of uh, biblical mothers, (laughs) unless you're going to repeat yourself. And some of you have been coming here a long time, and you'll bust me on that. So So I thought to myself, well, we are in Revelation 12 right now, and there technically is a mother there. So I thought we could just stay in Revelation, and there is a a lesson there that there's an enemy out there that wants to devour your children. Maybe that's not a good idea. (laughs) So we'll do something else this morning. So let's look at Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1. We'll hop in a few different places uh, just to get some other thoughts on motherhood this morning. But as you're turning to Luke chapter 1, I I found if there's one thing that's consistent in Scripture um, all throughout is that being a mom is not easy. Uh, Being a mom is not easy. Whether um, we look at those in in the Scripture, women who long to be mothers um, but were unable to have children. Um, We look at... Uh, the mothers in the Scripture who lost their child. Um, We look at mothers who were struggling in the midst of caring for their children. Um, Whichever one you want to pick, um, all throughout the Bible, trials abound in Scripture when it addresses motherhood. But here's the the other side of that. Miracles also abound. Uh, There's lots of miracles that are associated with moms. Um, Seven barren women in Scripture experienced supernatural births. Uh, Four mothers saw their children raised from the dead, and obviously, well, doesn't mean their dad saw them raised from the dead too. Well, they aren't present in actually quite a few of those scenes. One of them is a widow. Um, uh, So we see that there's a a special blessing that happens for a lot of these moms uh, where they receive their children back from the dead. Uh, It's not exactly an everyday occurrence in Scripture. And then uh, we see uh, Hagar, Job's wife, Jochebed, Naomi, Mary, and the Gentile woman who had the demon-possessed daughter. We don't know her name, but these are just a few notable uh, examples of mothers who had no hope for their family situation, but they experienced the joy of God's restoration. And so, while being a mom isn't easy, and we'll address that later in the message today, um, and miracles abound, uh, we have all these wonderful accounts, and yet you have to kind of ignore the Scripture if you're not going to come to the conclusion that the number of moms in the Bible who handled those struggles well is is not a high number. Um, And so with so many examples of those who didn't trust the Lord through those challenges, being a good Christian mom can seem like it's an impossible achievement, you know, only for like the very few or the elite. And, uh, I understand, as I've talked to a lot of moms, that they they feel like there's no way I can do this well. But there's another common theme that we find in Scripture, and it's this. And it's that God has a lot of grace from others, a lot of grace from others. And the the Bible, when it praises those who handled those difficult trials well, it doesn't do so because they were perfect, and they didn't make any mistakes. It, It praises them because of their faith Um, It was a faith that clung to the Lord and it received the Lord's grace when he moved. I find it very interesting when you look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and we see the hall of faith, you know, where it mentions people like Abraham and, you know, and other individuals. There's a line in there. Obviously, Sarah's mentioned there as well that, you know, she's one of those barren women that by faith, you know, received the Lord's promise that she would have a child. But when I think of Hebrews 11, I think of another passage there that we don't usually think about very much. When it gets to the point where he realizes if he keeps naming names and giving all the details, he'll be talking forever, he says in verse 32 of chapter 11 of Hebrews, and what more shall I say? Or for the time would f- fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. And then it lists some of the things all these people did. Who through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouth of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. They waxed valiant in fight. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. But here in verse 35 says something interesting. And women received their dead to life again. It mentions that that was something that happened by faith. Isn't that interesting? Just on the same level as, you know, uh, you know, subduing kingdoms and obtaining promises and stopping the mouth of lions. says these women received their dead back, raised to life again by faith. What does it mean to be a mother of faith? Well, this morning I'd like to share with you about a mother who wasn't able to bear children. She is barren. But she was a woman of faith. She continued to trust the Lord to the end. And maybe we'll glean a few lessons from her that might be a, a blessing to you. So Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 5. And I'm, I'm going to read. I'm, I'm going to skip through a few sections here because we're going to focus. There's two moms in this chapter, and I only have time to teach on one. But in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, introduces us to someone. It says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous, Zacharias and Elizabeth, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. They were blameless. You would not have been able to find anything, you know, wrong with their character. It doesn't mean they were perfect, it just means, man, they, they were godly people. But then verse 7 tells us, and they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years, so they were beyond the place of childbearing. Verse 8 says, and it came to pass that while he, Zacharias, executed the priest's office before God, in the order of his course, it was his turn to serve in in the temple, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And so the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the time of the incense when he goes inside to do this. So he goes inside the temple, and verse 11 says something interesting happens. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth shall bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you shall have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord." So Zacharias gets this announcement. We're not going to look at his reaction because we're not studying him this morning. We're going to go down to verse 24 and see Elizabeth's reaction. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus has the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. At this point, the story now goes to tell us Mary's uh, story, how she finds out she's going to give birth. So we're going to skip that since we're not studying Mary this morning, and we want to come to the part where Mary visits Elizabeth um, some months later, verse 39. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste unto a city of Judea, verse 40, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, that the babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is this, or why is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, referring to Mary. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now, Mary responds to this with her magnificent, you know, my soul blesses the Lord. We're going to skip that because we're not studying Mary. And then go down to verses 57 and 58. Verse 57. Now, Elizabeth full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her. And they rejoiced with her. Now, my goal this morning, I'm sure you can find more if you studied it on your own, but is to share four lessons about being a mother of faith. The first thing I recognize here when I look at Elizabeth is that Elizabeth had unreasonable expectations placed on her by others. Now, don't get me wrong. Being a mom, being a mother is a high calling. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 1, it tells us the seriousness of what it means to be a mother. In Proverbs fourteen, verse one, it says, "Every wise woman builds her house, but the foolish plucks it down with her hands." It's a heavy verse, right? I mean, it's a serious responsibility. Being a mom is a high calling. The word there to build it means to construct, to fortify, to refurbish. Uh, it, it means to cause a person to prosper. Um, when it uses the word house that's in a middle eastern metaphor that's applied to one's family one's children so mothers have this amazing ability to construct fortify and even refurbish members of their family um, with the good choices that they make but it says here that they also have the ability to pull it all crashing down no pressure right The Bible repeatedly exhorts mothers to be wise and not foolish. And certainly, if you're a mom this morning, I exhort you to be wise and not foolish. However, while being a mother is a high calling, being a good mother does not require perfection. And it seems like that's the way a lot of people view motherhood. You know, when we go back to Luke chapter 1, we see in verse 6 that Luke makes it clear that Elizabeth was a very godly woman. But apparently, that wasn't good enough for everyone else. She's a descendant of Aaron. For a woman of her prominence to be barren was absolutely unacceptable. Why? Well, because of God's promise back in Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Israelis looked at Deuteronomy chapter seven, and in light of it, where they saw barren women, they immediately assumed you were a sinner, you were cursed. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, verses twelve through fourteen, the Lord says this to Moses to tell the people. Deuteronomy seven twelve, wherefore it shall come to pass if ye just so you know that's plural. You know, you all, we say that's ye in the Bible. It's you all, Florida, you know. If ye, you all, hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God shall keep unto you, wherefore he will do this for you. The Lord your God shall keep unto you the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto your fathers. And he will love you, and he will bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb, and your wine, and your oil, the increase of your kind, and the flocks of your sheep, and the land which he swore unto your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all people, and there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Now, the idea here is that if Israel as a nation, ye, you all, obeyed God, then God promised there wouldn't be any barren women. However, rather than understand this passage correctly that God was speaking of national sin and national obedience, Israeli society interpreted barrenness as a judgment on personal sin. That you're barren not because of some uh, something we've all done wrong, you're barren because you did something wrong. And thus there was this stigma attached to a woman who is barren that she was cursed by God and surely must be some mighty sinner. Elizabeth actually points this out in verse 25, where she says in Luke 1, verse 25, the reason she goes into seclusion is she says, thus has the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. One Hebrew linguist, Hebrew expert, he said, my reproach here, it refers to the surname by which they called her. It means they called her the barren one. When Elizabeth came around, it wasn't, oh, hi, Elizabeth. It was, oh, there's the barren one. That's how they referred to her. That's how they spoke of her. So much so that Elizabeth scarcely accounted herself as one of the human race, someone to be counted among men because of her barrenness. You ever felt like you don't belong to the human race as a mom? The child misbehaves or your child's not walking with the Lord or they walk away from the Lord and others treat you like you're the evil mom. If only she'd walk with Jesus, if only she'd done this, this wouldn't have happened to their kids. But that is not how God sees it. In Psalm 113, we read it in our scripture reading, the Lord shares his thoughts It talks about how the Lord is worthy of all praise because he's so much farther above us than we can think. He is high and exalted above all nations. His glory above all the heavens. It asks the question, who is like unto the Lord our God who dwells on high? And what's the answer to that? No one, right? No one's like Jesus. No one's like the Lord. But then he says, why also is he above everyone? Why is he worthy of praise for Psalm 113, verse 6 says, Who humbles himself to behold the things not just that are in heaven, but the things that are also in the earth. And he raises up the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman to keep house and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. That was radical theology back then. <laughs> That flew in the face of the way that the Israeli people understood God's word. Incorrectly, they understood it. But this is what God says. Listen, moms, our world is wicked. And while you probably aren't the perfect mother, you're not the only one influencing your child. The flesh, the world, and the enemy are too. Did you make mistakes? Yes, surely. Could you have done better? Absolutely. But the one who wants to deal with those things speaks in a way that draws you to his grace, draws you to his forgiveness and help to do better in the future. He does not erase your existence as a mother and strip that name from you among men. Now, if God is gracious with moms, then how do you think we should be with moms? We should be gracious with them too. We must remember to be very gracious towards them. If you see a mom who is struggling or who is hurting, please don't be one of the people who pile on. And if you see a mother who looks like she's failing, don't assume you know why things look the way they do. Come alongside and stand with her, just like the Lord does. So, lesson one from Elizabeth, being a good mother does not require perfection. Elizabeth was hardly perfect. However, lesson number two, we'll get to a moment, we also infer here from this passage that Elizabeth was godly, even though things had not gone in her life like she had hoped. There's an interesting text in Proverbs 31, and I know it's taboo to talk about Proverbs 31 on Mother's Day. Worst Mother's Day sermon I ever gave taught in Proverbs 31. I had three mothers who told me I ruined their Mother's Day. Lesson learned. In Luke 1, verse 6, it says that Elizabeth was a righteous woman. She walked in all the commandments, all the ordinances of the Lord. She was blameless. I mean, she was a godly woman. And yet, she had no child. And there was no seeming hope of having a child anytime soon. There's a verse in Proverbs 31, verse 25 of Proverbs 31, that I find very interesting. I don't think we always understand it well. Proverbs 31.25 says, She clothes, her strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. What does that mean? Strength and honor are her clothing. Strength here does not refer to physical strength. It refers to moral force. Uh, Kyle and Delitz, those great Hebrew commentators, they said, This word refers to power over the changes of temporary circumstances changes of temporary circumstances that would normally and easily shatter and bring to ruin a household that was resting on a less solid foundation, one that's not resting on this moral force, this strength. So she closed herself with this moral strength that allows her to face the changes of of everyday life that normally would easily shatter someone or easily shatter a family. When it says she closed herself with honor, the word here refers to dignity, majesty, glory. It means something that is elevated above that which is common, right? It's like the Yankees and the Marlins, right? She closed herself with moral force, with something that's if elevated higher than the norm, and then it mentions she rejoices in, day, in the days to come. The word they rejoice, that's, that's probably not a good translation. It means to laugh and almost always in a mocking way. A godly woman clothes herself with moral fortitude and she clothes herself with her high calling, her scriptural elevated calling despite temporary trials. And rather than let those trials beat her down, She laughs at what the enemy or others say is a bad future. She says, nope, not today, Satan. God's given me a future and a hope and I'm going to forge forward in faith even though it hurts. Lesson number two is that being a good mother doesn't mean being perfect but being a good mother does mean not giving up it does mean not giving up. Elizabeth was blameless, and yet she had every human excuse not to be. A descendant of Aaron Barron? You must be the worst kind of uh, sinner. Your future's shot, Elizabeth. And yet she lived out Proverbs thirty-one twenty-five, and it enabled her to please the Lord even though her future didn't seem to have any hope of changing, not for a large portion of her life. What a beautiful promise this is that you can live for Jesus even though life hurts so much right now and may not even seem like that hurt might go away anytime soon. Now, when we see all these hurting mothers in the Bible, it means if anyone needs prayer, it's a mom, right? We need to pray for our moms. We need to pray for mothers in our, our sphere of influence, and so I ask you this morning, when you see a mother who is struggling, is your heart moved to compassion and prayer or is it moved to critique and derision? You know, we as a society, and it starts at the top. It starts at the top. It just goes, filters into all, all of our media outlets and it, and it filters down to just the guy sitting in the restaurant looking at the guy at the other side of the restaurant. We see something and we assume we've got it figured out. We see something, and we leap on top of it, and this is what's going on, you know? Like, like when I, before I had kids, all right? And, you know, and, and you remember when we used to go to banks to deposit checks and things like that? And, you know, you go to the bank, and, of course, you know, you see the mom who's there, you know, with little Johnny. And little Johnny is, he is lit. I mean, he is just, he is... He is gone. He does not want to be here, and he is fully aware that mom cannot beat him in public. That's why, you know, I would look down at mine, and I'd be like, this is your hour. Mine is coming. (laughs) And so, you know, my first thought as a young man who had no kids, I look over and go, not my kids, you know? And then, you know, you get older, and you realize that they have this thing called, like, their own mind. And, and while you can control them in legal ways, <laughs> in most situations, there are certain situations where you just gotta go, we're gonna get through this. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's no other option, you know? Don't be like those who called Elizabeth the barren one. Be someone who helps a mother lift up her head and look to the Lord so she might move into the future with moral fortitude and dignity. Be someone who lends strength so she can say, not today, not giving up today, and then smile as she faces a difficult future. So being a good mother doesn't mean being perfect. Being a good mother does mean not giving up. And then there's a third thing I notice here with Elizabeth. I notice that Elizabeth remained humble when she could have blasted everyone. Note here in verse 24, it says, And after those days his wife Elizabeth conceived. So after they heard the news, she got pregnant. But... With the thing that's finally happened that she's been praying, we know they've been praying earlier in Luke 1, that they've been praying for for years and years and years and years, and now, it's, a, now it's, it's not just a natural thing that happened finally, but it's a supernatural, clearly supernatural thing because they're too old to physically have children. Now it finally happens and she hides herself for five months? That seems like the complete opposite of what you'd normally do, you know? And then note this, verses 57 and 58. Nine months later, now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered and she brought forth a son. And note this, her neighbors and King James says her cousins, it just means any kind of family. It says they heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her. Then semicolon, which means Luke wants you to pause and think about that for a second. Who do you think the people calling her the barren one are? I I doubt it's people living in another town. I, I doubt it's people that don't know her It's likely some of these people here, surely not all of them, but some of them at least. It says they heard how the Lord showed great mercy upon her and they rejoiced with her. She let them come and rejoice with her, those who had mocked her, critiqued her, and given her a bad name in the past. Turn to Titus chapter three with me. One of the hardest lessons of Scripture. And yet, one of the most important ones because it's one of the few attributes Jesus ascribed to himself when he described himself. Titus 3, verse 1. <clears throat> verse 1. Uh, Paul is telling Titus, hey, this is how you be a good pastor. It's a pastoral epistle. He's teaching him how to pastor there in Crete. And he says to them, put them in mind. Remind your congregation of these things. And then he he lists a couple things. He says, you know, to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates. And by the way, that's what a good pastor does. A good pastor tells you to do that. A bad pastor tells you to ignore that because he has his own opinions on how things are supposed to be. Secondly, he says, a good pastor tells him to be ready to every good work. And what does that look like? To speak evil of no man. In other words, if I'm being ready to every good work, it means I need to do good works to those who do me evil, right? That's every good work. It's what, I think is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, what good is it if you do good to those who do good to you? Even the Gentiles do that. Even the unbelievers do that. You want to be like your father in heaven, then be therefore perfect as he is. Ooh, high standard, Right? That's why I said this is a hard principle. So, if we're going to be ready to do every good work, then we need to speak evil of no man, to not be brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto how many men? All men. What is meekness? What is this meekness that I'm required? How can I make sure that I'm doing that? Well, I can probably explain it best by giving a bit of a contrast. Gentleness is another thing we're called to show towards people. And gentleness refers to the outward actions that people can see. Like if, 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 if someone um, was, you know, rude to you and you were kind back to them and you said something nice to them in return, that would be gentleness, right? That's something everybody can see. Meekness, however, is the part that the only person who can see is you and the Lord, it's an inner attitude. It means the ability to diminish justified passion. That's what meekness is. That's what Jesus described himself as meek. He said, I am meek and lowly of heart. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, for I am meek and lowly of heart, and I'll give you rest for your souls. He said, I am meek and lowly of heart. Jesus, if anyone was justified in blasting people, it was him. But he held himself back. He diminished justified passion it's the attitude within that reminds oneself that i'm a sinner amongst other sinners not that jesus needed he wasn't a sinner but he reminded himself he was amongst other sinners it's the attitude that reminds myself that while i'd be totally justified to blast the other person i'm going to choose to show mercy in the same way that god has showed me mercy that he has not given me what i deserve that's hard, isn't it? <laughs> That's hard. Especially when you're constantly misunderstood, you know? Like most of the time, if someone's upset at me and they give it to me, I probably can look around and I think, you know, I, 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 I could have done better. I probably deserve that. But it's in those moments where like you're racking your brain, could have I said something better? Could have I done something better? Could have I handled the situation better? Could have I waited longer? Did I wait too long? And you go, No, I mean I did everything right. What's your problem, man? Like, that's what you want to do in that moment. You're like, come on, cut me a break. You know, how, why are you reacting this way? I didn't do anything wrong. You're the jerk. Right? That's the normal way. Everyone's looking at me. Maybe it's not your normal way. Maybe it's just me. <laughs> Confession time with Pastor Will then. But Jesus didn't do that, right? And he calls us to do Likewise. Here's a third lesson I think we can learn from Elizabeth. Being a good mother doesn't require perfection. Being a good mother does mean not giving up. But I do think being a good mother requires humility. You know, I know this may sound silly, but as soon as Elizabeth started showing, she could have been flashing her belly everywhere she went. You know? For a solid nine months. I mean, she'd been waiting a long time for this moment, right? Right? She could have made sure. she could put extra pillows in there, you name it, you know, whatever. You know be like, "You see that? You see that? I'm showing already. I'm only two weeks pregnant. How you like them Apples Flo? When was the last time you had a child. Where's your child, Babette? Who's the barren one now? But instead. Elizabeth tells us here that she says thus why she goes into seclusion thus has the lord dealt with me. She recognizes this as God's work and she left her reputation in the lord's hands. And when God did change everyone else's attitude she didn't exclude them. The bible makes a point of telling us that Elizabeth let them rejoice with her. You know I get it, ladies. There is so much pressure on women in our culture to be everything. You have to be feminine, but also do everything a man can do. You need to be motherly, but you need to seek upward mobility. You need to be connected, but independent. Hundreds of voices are screaming at you, telling you what you need to be, and then when finally something goes well for you, it can be very tempting to scream at those voices and say, back off, I'm doing something right, to put them in their place. Can I encourage you to follow Elizabeth's example instead? No, it may not get you on the cover of Veggie Beat magazine, but it will please your Father in heaven. Now, for those of us who are not moms or in how we want to relate to moms, even if you are a mom, other moms, I think this is a good reminder to not be one of those voices putting another expectation on mothers. Be someone who sticks by her side, someone who appreciates all the other things about her instead of pointing out that one thing that's not okay. You know, my, uh, I've been in management much of my life. I've, I've been bivocational for a large part of my life as a pastor, always in some management position or another, and, and when I, I, I first started as a manager, my, my very first boss was really good at dealing with people, and uh, I was not. And one of the things he told me, he said, you know, Will, he said, uh, you know, here's a, here's a tip for you that'll help you. He said, for every critique you give, try to give 10 compliments. And give you a little bit of insight into my psyche. Um, I'm not one who tends to um, say things if I don't believe they're true. And so, when he told me that, I thought, 10 compliments? This person's not worthy of two compliments. Like, like the reason I'm critiquing them is because they're doing lots of wrong things. You know, how am I going to, I'm not going to lie and make stuff up. I remember as I was trying to change the way that I was operating and, and, and how I was trying to lead people and to help them grow. One of the things that I discovered was is that the reason it was difficult to come up with 10 compliments wasn't because there were not 10 compliments to give. The reason was my outlook. That I was unwilling to take the time to look and see the good things about what they were doing. All I cared about was the obvious thing that I could see that was wrong. I had one of my kids ask me the other day, they said, Dad, how do you... How do you write a Mother's Day card without saying the same things over and over again? I said to him, well, son, it's not too difficult. I said, you you lie. (laughs) Joking. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. (laughs) Does this make me look like I've gained weight? No, 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 never. No, you don't lie. What I explained to him was this lesson I've learned. As I said, the most important part about a Mother's Day card or something you say to someone when you write a poem, whatever, it's not the words themselves. It's the thought that went into the. Why, it's the thought that went into the why behind the words. And I said, so it's not so much that you can't even say the same things again. I said, but if you've taken the time to think about what it is you're trying to say, then the words are not as important because what you're going to write is going to communicate the thought that you put into the why you're saying what you say. And when you do that, it will help you to be more creative with your words. I'm so glad that when I come to Jesus, that he doesn't look at me and go, well, well, I mean, oh, today was a disaster. Like, like, like you're, like 80% of what you do is not godly. Like how many of us could handle that? I'm not saying it's not even true. I mean, it's probably true. Probably a higher percentage for me. But the Lord doesn't speak to us like that at all. He doesn't ignore our sin. He does not that he doesn't deal with those things, but how many times do we see in the scriptures that he tells us, you know, you know, I've got you in the palm of my hand. You know, this is what I've done for you. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Tells us all these awesome things. Now, again, it's not that he ignores our sin. It's not that sin's okay. That's not the, that's not the point. But we have verses like, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, called out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's like, why does God do those things? Because we'd be crushed underneath the weight of the reality of how far it seems like we have to go if that's all we ever heard. I love the scripture that it says in the Old Testament that he knows our frame that we're simply dust. Do you know that's the same psalm where he says, as far as the east is from the west, as far as he removed our transgressions from us? Why? Why? because we like to chase after it. We don't like to let it go. We're, you know, when he deals with us, it's not that like he doesn't deal with our sins, but he's gracious, he's compassionate. He's kind. And so, it's a good reminder, you know, to appreciate all the other things about your mom or the mothers in your life instead of pointing out the one thing that's not okay. But well, one more lesson, one other thought from Elizabeth. Note here in Luke chapter one, verses 41 through 45, that when Mary came to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth reached out to encourage another mother. Moms need other moms. You know, we see in Titus chapter two, I believe, where it instructs, you know, older men teach younger men, older women teach younger women. And it talks about part of that is teaching them how to do family, you know, and so the idea is they're supposed to be connected to one another. They're supposed to be influenced there. And when we read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, um, Paul tells us just generally, this is all of us, he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. In other words, we might be going through a lot, but as we receive the encouragement and the comfort of the Lord, his desire is that then Christ through us gives that courage and encouragement and comfort to others who are going through a lot, right? That's a general principle of Christianity. That word there, comfort, it means to encourage by verbal or nonverbal means, The fact that Elizabeth secludes herself for five months shows that she had a lot on her mind. She didn't want to be out and about. But when Mary comes to visit her, excited, of course, but surely also concerned what others are going to think and say as her pregnancy begins to show, and she's not a married woman. Elizabeth takes the opportunity to encourage her with the truth. She says... And blessed is she that believed. It is a good thing that you trusted the Lord with this. I know it's a scary thing, Mary, but you did the right thing and you'll be blessed for trusting the Lord through this. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her of the Lord. The fourth lesson is the one I started the message with and that's being a good mom is not easy. It's not easy. You are embracing hard things when you decide to be a mother. It can be intimidating for a mom to open up about her hopes, her failures, her fears. If you're a mother, you know that firsthand. And instead of reaching out, it can be easy to think, God, are you really asking me to reach out to others when I've got so much on my plate already? I think Jesus is the best example of how to handle that challenge because when he was on the cross dying for all of our sins, he reached out to his mother by making sure John would take care of her after he was gone. I would dare say Jesus had a lot on his plate at that moment. So can I encourage you, mom, this morning to be the mom you wish someone had been to you when you were going through it? Be an Elizabeth. Be a mom who speaks God's word to other mothers. And be a mom who comes alongside other moms to encourage them to keep going. You know we have a beautiful promise from the Lord, and I want to close with this: Isaiah chapter forty, verses twenty-eight through thirty-one. There are many various reasons why you can feel like throwing in the towel, or just not giving it your all. And Israel was kind of in that in that in that mindset. Uh, during the time that Isaiah is writing to them, things are not good. And they say in Isaiah 40, 27, my way is hid from the Lord. My justice is passed over from my God. He doesn't care. He doesn't see. He's not doing anything. And I love what verse 28 says in Isaiah 40. It says, have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the one who's always God, the Lord, the one who's always in charge, the creator of the ends of the earth, the one who has all power, that he does not faint, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. No, you you may not understand what he's doing, but he's not sleeping, he's not ignoring you. It says he gives power to those who are faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And may I say to you, moms, this morning, if you're struggling, that promise is for you. He sees, he knows, he hears. I don't know what he's doing. But he hasn't abandoned you. And you're, in your weakness, his strength can be made perfect. Amen? Amen? Amen. To the moms in your life this morning, recognize how much they need encouragement. Smile often. Now you can, you know? Smile often. Praise more. Find things to praise. And especially, not just today but regularly thank the moms who've invested into your life and then do it some more. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand. Lord, you know every heart today. You know that maybe even some of us have not had good relationships with our mother, Lord. You may be that Maybe we didn't have a good mom. Maybe it was a really bad situation. And yet, Lord, there's always something that we can find to be thankful for. There's some way that we can invest into another person's life. And so, Lord, we thank you for the mothers in our lives, Lord. Thank you for creating us, Lord. Thank you for creating them. And, Lord, this morning, it's our desire to walk in obedience to your word, whether it's the exhortations you give to us about being a godly mother, about being like Elizabeth, you know, following her example, or whether it's about being different than those who were not very supportive and encouraging to Elizabeth. Either way, Lord, our desire is to be doers of your word, not hearers only. So please encourage every mother this morning, Lord. Fill them with your spirit that they might, you know, keep on keeping on to clothe themselves with that strength, that moral force, and that dignity to lift up their head and uh, say, not today. To be meek and humble, Lord. Knowing full well that being a mom isn't easy, but that it doesn't require perfection. It requires faith. Help them to trust you, Lord, and help all of us to be grateful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, before we close with a song, I'd like all the non-mothers to sit please so if you are a mom you've given birth you're you know adopted mother maybe you you have at some point been a mom in some way to somebody please remain standing if you're if you're not a mom you can have a seat thank you thank you for your faithfulness thank you for not giving up thank you for carrying us, loving us. and I don't know if my mom's watching online. I think she watches the first service. So, Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your example. Thank you for your faith. And I encourage you to continue forward walking with the Lord. You will run and not be weary. You will walk and not faint. He's gonna keep you. He who, he who keeps you underneath of the everlasting arms and he's never gonna let you fall. He's never gonna let you go. So keep on keeping on. Lord, we pray that you'd bless our dear mothers here today. We're so grateful for them in our body, Lord, that they're here and they're a blessing to us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for their influence on our lives, their influence on their families, Lord, their influence on other moms. let we pray that you'd encourage them this morning, Lord. Fill them with joy. Lord, even as you filled Elizabeth with joy as you, you answered her prayer, Lord, I pray you'd answer the cries of their heart, that you'd, you would move on their behalf, Lord, in the things that they've been petitioning you for. And I pray you'd bless their day today in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's give them a round of applause.